Hello and welcome to The Insider. I'm Lisa Adams. Welcome to our viewers and to our listeners as well. Today we'll be getting another update from the front lines of the pandemic battle right here in our community, this time with a focus on UPMC Hammett and on their nursing staff. My guest is Jim Donnelly, who is Chief Nursing Officer at UPMC Hammett, also Vice President of Patient Services. Thanks for joining us here today. Thank you, Lisa. So let's start with where things are right now as we start the month of February. Um, I know January was a crazy month. So are you, are you seeing the counts of hospitalized COVID-19 patients trending downward at UPMC Hammett? And, and do you think the post-holiday surge has abated here? So we're seeing some encouraging numbers. The um, number of positive cases in the community is decreasing. Additionally, uh, we're seeing uh, a slow abatement in the number of hospitalized patients, and that's good news for us. Um, uh, we expect that to continue in the weeks ahead. What about sewage? We know that uh, Erie was kind of an early uh, adopter of this idea that sewage might give us some clues as to what was uh, coming. And you know, when we had so few cases in the community, maybe it didn't mean quite as much, but now taking a look at the data, uh, this surge, did it really show up in, in the sewage data? So the wastewater data that comes out from the Erie County uh, Public Health Department has been very predictive for us. Um, as that uh, rate has risen, we have also seen the case numbers rise, offset usually by seven to 10 days in terms of hospitalization. Um, during the peak of Omicron, we saw those numbers approach 180 million. That's huge. huge. Um, the most recent report I saw had those numbers at 20 million, so that's a ninefold decrease um, and very good news for us. So do you think UPMC Hammett's uh, experience here with Omicron is similar to the rest of Western PA, the West, uh, rest of your system, and maybe what we've even seen in other countries as far as how quickly this rushes in and how long it how long it lasts. I believe that across really it began in South Africa and what we've seen is a consistent pattern in all of these areas that as um, Omicron arrives, the case numbers soar, they rapidly increase. Although there is a, a, a lower level of acuity and a smaller percentage of patients who get critically ill, there are so many of those who get ill that that smaller percentage looks like a big surge to hospitals. Yeah, and with the other health risks that we know exist in our community, whether it's from smoking or obesity or other kinds of factors, I'm sure that plays into it too. So, um, you know, you had the benefit of just expanding the hospital before all of this happened. So how much of the hospital is really committed to COVID-19 patient care? And how has the um, surge really stressed your nursing staff? I mean, are you constantly expanding and contracting what you're calling a COVID unit? Exactly. So our emergency preparedness team and clinical teams have um, had the ability to surge and accommodate up to uh, more than 150 patients. Fortunately, we have never reached that level, but we have plans in place. And uh, what we do is as case numbers rise, we incrementally open an additional COVID unit. They typically are 12 to 24 beds and uh, they feature uh, what we call a negative air environment where the air um, does not, is not allowed to escape the unit. It is sucked into the unit. And uh, any of our nurses, physicians, or healthcare workers who are inside the unit wear a special uh, 
tapper, capper, or uh, N95 mask and a face shield uh, to protect themselves. The environment is uh, created such that the nurses can rapidly move from patient to patient because these patients often have critical issues come up very quickly and you need to be able to respond rapidly. So we have um, currently been running uh, four dedicated COVID units. I anticipate today that we will shut one of those down and uh, reduce our numbers to three. Oh, that's really encouraging. So obviously your medical staff, your nursing staff is not immune from the community spread, especially as people gathered for the holidays, really from Thanksgiving through New Year's. Uh, so did you have a lot of people out sick on your medical team and how did that exacerbate the situation? Staffing down, illness up, it must have been crazy. That's a good word. Um, <laughs> we certainly had a lot of adapting to do. Um, I can't say enough uh, about how much I appreciate our physicians, our nurses, our patient care technicians who responded, who supported each other. Uh, if a colleague fell ill and couldn't come to work, um, others picked up. Uh, we provided special incentives uh, to our staff uh, when they picked up and went beyond their, their work commitment, but we could not have gotten through this without the dedication of these men and women who have uh, really made a difference in our patients' lives and our organization. I know it's hard to tell this in short form, but I mean, what do you really do for patients when they come to the door? Um, has that changed? Do you have more tools? You know, we hear about the therapeutics, but we also understand that just good old steroids and oxygen are, are some of the key things. But are you doing anything differently to care for patients when they come to the door? I would say that we've refined our use of a limited set of tools. Um, most of what we do for people is support them with oxygen therapy. We uh, will treat them uh, basically uh, with positioning. Um, so there's something called proning. If I lay on my stomach, my oxygen levels will actually be higher if I'm ill with COVID. And so patients who are not yet intubated but on high flow oxygen are encouraged to self-prone and uh, stay on their bellies for a couple of hours at a time and then uh, come off and lay on their back for a period of time. That doesn't sound like a very dramatic uh, change, but uh, as I said, we have a limited set of tools. Monoclonal antibodies can be effective early in the course of the illness. Remdesivir is an option, but truthfully, once somebody is admitted to the hospital and has developed a serious illness, um, we're looking at um, steroids, oxygen, and proning. Yeah, and if you do move to the really needing to be put on a ventilator or the very heavy amounts of oxygen, that still does not bode well, right? That, that is uh, associated with a very high level of mortality. A patient requiring intubation and a ventilator um, is most likely not going to survive. Even with all we know and all we've learned in these past two years, um, it is still uh, not a good outcome. I think that's good for people to hear, especially when they think, well, I won't get so sick. So uh, all the precautions we've been taking still important. Important. Obviously, your background is in nursing. We're going to talk about the evolution of protecting the nursing staff. You mentioned the PAPRs, uh, but how that's evolved since the pandemic began. When we come back, stay with us.
I'm Lisa Adams. Welcome back to The Insider. My guest again today is Jim Donnelly, Chief Nursing Officer at UPMC Hammond and VP of Patient Care. We're talking about the challenges of COVID-19 in your hospital. So you've been in nursing for a very long time. Um, has anything ever compared to this in your experience? No. <laughs> in a word, no. Nothing like this. So at first, the nursing staff uh, must have been really fearful every single day. I mean, even though once they get to work, I'm sure their mind is on their work and helping people. But we all were fearing for them, um, you know, every day being afraid of catching it themselves. So are the precautions to protect the nurses on duty the same as they were at the beginning? Or what, what have you learned there? Because this, we were afraid to touch anything. We wiped every desk here, you know, all the time, but we don't do that anymore. Yeah, as the disease emerged, we really had no idea and uh, a very limited understanding of how spread occurred. We knew it was contagious, but we didn't fully understand how contagious it was. Today, we know it's a respiratory illness. We know that respiratory protections will prevent the spread of the illness, and we've leveraged that technology and knowledge to keep our staff safe. But at the beginning, uh, high anxiety, great concern among everyone, and, and uh, we had to learn very quickly and put that knowledge into practice. So um, do, you, do, do the nurses spend any less time covering every part of themselves in and out of the unit? Is it more focused on protecting their breathing? Correct. So as we began, um, uh, nurses would wear special clothing when they worked in the unit and cared for a patient. They'd wear a gown. Um, obviously, we still wear gowns when we are in uh, close proximity and providing care, but now as I go in and out of a unit, um, I, and I've worked in the unit uh, on rare occasions, um, I'm wearing my regular scrubs because we know that this is a respiratory illness. Um, that has changed, and that has allowed us, I think, to be more focused on protecting our staff and our patients. So you talked a little bit about the nursing shortage based on community spread and illness and how the staff, you know, helped back each other up here. But is it a little easier for um, our hospital systems here in, in Western PA because you do have the resources of, of the whole system to kind of fill in the gaps when, you know, maybe send the troops to where they're needed? Yes and no. Um, uh, the reality is that um, nursing on a worldwide basis is uh, suffering a shortage of, of manpower. And this has to do with a number of things, burnout, um, early retirements from that burnout, and, and really just a, a surge in need. Um, uh, obviously, being a part of a system like UPMC, we've initiated our own travel agency. Um, it has given us the ability to flex a bit, but like everyone else, we're short. So we talked about protecting the nurses with PPE, uh, but of course it really uh, was very important when the vaccine rolled out here in our community. And you got to be the hospital official to give the very first COVID-19 vaccines to some of your own staff. How, how do you remember that moment? Was that just an emotional moment for you? That was literally uh, as emotional a thing as I have experienced in the last two years. Uh, to give Dr. Bihari and Ty and, uh, and, and uh, the team here uh, their first shot and to protect them with that vaccine at a time when everyone uh, was at risk and putting themselves at risk by caring for these patients meant so much to me. 
Um, I, I, I spoke to their courage and character in uh, assuming this challenge and, and stepping in to provide this care, and it, it just moved me. I, I, was, I was choked up with tears. I think it was moving for all of us who watched it. We do know that some medical workers, some citizens in our community still reluctant to vaccinate. I know now we're talking about um, testing a vaccine for babies, really tiny, tiny ones. Uh, but when you hear about that vaccine reluctance still, from what you've seen, um, from the losses that you've seen of life, uh, what are your thoughts? So I would say that there's no one, no one in our community who doesn't know someone who has been um, either profoundly ill and their life changed forever because of this illness or hasn't lost someone to this illness in their life. And that is so compelling. Um, you know, it is a microcosm of what we see in healthcare. We in the hospital see all of these patients. Unfortunately, uh, the perspective sometimes is, is uh, impacted by the fact that 99% of the people who get COVID do fine. It's that 1% and what happens to that 1% that is so tragic and so traumatic for the healthcare worker. Well, I know UPMC Hammett has a special status as a nurse magnet hospital, and we'll be talking about what that means when we come back. Stay with us. Welcome back again to The Insider. I'm Lisa Adams. We've been talking about COVID-19, the fight and challenges at UPMC Hammett right here in our community with Jim Donnelly, who is Chief Nursing Officer there. So you informed me, something I did not know, that UPMC Hammett is a nurse magnet hospital. So how did you get that status and, and what does that mean? So uh, magnet designation came about uh, when nursing researchers noticed that there were hospitals that had uh, almost magnetic qualities. Their ability to recruit and retain staff uh, outperformed other hospitals in the country. They studied those hospitals and they uh, developed 80 standards that a hospital had to meet to achieve magnet status. In 2016, Hammett uh, achieved that status for the first time and most recently in 2021, we received our second designation. That's pretty exciting when you got that in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so how are the voices of nurses heard at your hospital? Is that different than it was historically? And you know, having a nurse at the top of the hospital and David Gibbons, yourself, other um, top officers, do you take the, what the nurses have to say a little more seriously? Uh, absolutely. Uh, nurses are there taking care of our patients 24 seven. We're incredibly dependent on our physicians, but it's the nurse who's there uh, 24 hours a day. And so uh, to give a nurse the voice to say, this is what we need. This is the best way to deliver care. This is the support that we need is critically important to the success of an organization, especially one that's going through the type of challenges that we are right now at, at Hammett. Um, so uh, an example of how a nurse's voice was heard is our COVID units creating these units where we had negative air environments, where we allowed nurses to rapidly move from bedside to bedside 
and uh, not be encumbered by having to doff and don PPE is an example where nurses had a voice. Our new critical care tower was designed with virtual reality software, mock-up build-ups, and nurses' input into what those rooms looked like and how the work flowed. Yeah, I've had a chance to tour it. It's really incredible, spacious, really uh, a lot of room for the nurses to do the things they need to do. Um, so we talked uh, briefly in the last section about uh, vaccine resistance, and I know this EvuShield Evu is, is another one of, of the tools. Explain what that's for and how you're using that. I know you talked about the other therapeutics too, but they're kind of all in short supply right now. Absolutely. As the case numbers have soared, obviously the demand for those uh, uh, drugs and agents has equally soared, and as a result, uh, are in short supply. And so very special groups uh, are allocated uh, those drugs based upon the greatest benefit from receiving them. EvuShield is the newest tool in our toolbox, and that represents a sort of monoclonal antibody on steroids. It is basically two uh, antibodies uh, combined, and where we would use that is, let's say we had a patient who had lymphoma, had received their vaccine and been boosted, but still, because of their cancer and chemo, uh, were unable to manifest a strong immune response to protect themselves from COVID, they would benefit from EvuShield and they would therefore be less likely to contract COVID-19. How hard is it when things are in short supply? Uh, and I mean, we certainly saw this in the early days of the pandemic, when you really have to make choices uh, about what patients, which patients get which kind of treatment. Incredibly difficult, um, uh, but that is also why uh, we have strict criteria. By allocating uh, based upon criteria, need and benefit, we do the best job we can with the limited resources that we have. If this isn't uh, something that you're qualified to talk about, um, you know, we hear rumors all the time that uh, people's deaths are being chalked up to being a COVID death when it was really something else or that hospitals are playing games with the stats or the numbers here because it benefits them financially. Can you comment on that? Well, um, I can comment on a few things. One, there's no benefit to changing how somebody's death is reported. There's no financial benefit to that. Um, having uh, worked, I'm an ICU nurse by background. I've worked in our ICU, uh, our COVID ICU as uh, recently as December. And I can tell you that those people have COVID-19 and that they pass away from that illness. The impact that it has on those people who get seriously ill in their lungs is unrecoverable very often, and it's incredibly tragic. Sometimes uh, people believe what they want to believe. Yeah, and I'm sure for the people who work in that unit, such as yourself, it must be exhausting every day when you want to help somebody and you feel like you just can't. I wouldn't lump me into that. I'm a rare visitor to that unit, but uh, the men and women who have worked in our medical ICU, our five south and three south units, have demonstrated incredible courage and resilience to continue through this uh, fight for over two years now. It's remarkable uh, to think what they've been through, um, and it, it breaks my heart. 
Well, we have uh, much more to talk about when we come back. Unfortunately, not a lot of time to talk about it, but we know UPMC's Jameson School of Nursing has uh, gotten underway. We'll talk about whether you should consider a career in nursing to help out when we come back. Welcome back to The Insider. We've been talking with Jim Donnelly, Chief Nursing Officer at UPMC Hammett. So we've made the nursing shortage abundantly clear here. But the Jameson School of Nursing has started. Hammett historically had a school of nursing. Uh, how is this different and how important is it to have this in our community, especially at this time? This is a great uh, solution for us. Um, here's the opportunity. In 16 months, you go from starting to graduating and being a registered nurse. You have a professional career in 16 months. The costs are pretty balanced, and, and you're a part of the Hammett team from the very outset. I'd like to recognize Karen Morahan, who uh, really helped build this school from nothing. Uh, the reason we call it Jameson is because it's an affiliate of the UPMC School of Jameson in, down in Newcastle, and that allowed us to expedite the program. So this is in the former Wayne School, but I'm sure partly in the hospital as well. Are you getting the enrollment that you'd like to see? And who should think about going there? What kind of person does it take? Uh, first of all, we're thrilled with the enrollment numbers. Right now, we anticipate 65 nurses graduating in December. And uh, of them, wow. just over half have already accepted jobs with us. Wow. Next year, uh, we will double that enrollment, and we expect to have two classes each starting six months apart. So uh, I encourage people, this is an incredible career. It's filled with purpose, mission, and vision for your whole life. You never wonder why you're going to work. Good pitch. <laughs> All right, well, let's have some parting wisdom for people about COVID-19. How can they keep themselves and their families safe right now? Are people giving, giving up on doing the right things? I think there's uh, COVID fatigue out there. I think uh, I go to Walmart and uh, I may be the only person in Walmart besides the staff who are wearing a mask, but I, I think it's important that you remain diligent. I think vaccination is highly protective. You'll hear about breakthrough cases, but the people who get those cases get mild cases. All of the serious illness occurs among the unvaccinated. So get vaccinated, wear your mask, and keep your distance. And there's not any difficulty uh, getting vaccine or getting booster? There's no short supply of that? No, um, we're good with vaccine, and um, we are ready to provide it to anyone who needs it. And again, if you are sick with COVID-19 and maybe trying to lie on your stomach at home, and, uh, how do you know when you need to, to head to the hospital? If you're short of breath, um, if you're having trouble getting your breath even at rest, get to a hospital. Um, and um, we, we encourage you to go to an emergency room. And, and if you're wrong, if you overreacted, it's, it's better safe than sorry? I would think so. <laughs> with, the, with the serious nature of this illness, if you're short of breath, I, I, I would rather err on the side of caution. Well, thank you so much for giving us kind of a deep look inside of uh, the world of nurses there at UPMC Hammond. And thank you, as always, for joining us. If you have an idea you'd like us to explore, just email me at ladams at erienewsnow.com. And join us again next time for The Insider.